Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad you could join us as we study through the book of Revelation. We hope you enjoy this exciting teaching. Now let's join Pastor Dan as we study the strong angel in Revelation chapter 10. All right, everybody there? Revelation chapter 1? Okay, here we go. We are here today because there is, in fact, a rumor going around. There are still people who are saying that the book of Revelation is... But au contraire, say we, for you see, the word revelation itself means that something has been... Absolutely. If God wanted to conceal something, he would have called this the concealation, not the revelation. And so what is it that God is revealing in this book? Well, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 tells us this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't underlined that phrase, you'll certainly want to, because this book is all about revealing Jesus. Jesus was revealed in his earthly ministry in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and it was the death, the burial, the resurrection. But this book reveals Jesus in all of his glory, in all of eternity, as he is right now. You also notice that this is a single revelation. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelations. It's a single revelation. And that revelation begins in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and goes all the way to the end of the book. God so wanted his people to read this particular book that he promised that for those who would read this book, that they would receive a very special, which is found in Revelation chapter verse Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what it says. If you haven't underlined it, you'll certainly want to. It says, blessed is he who reads. This is the only book of the Bible that says that. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So uh, again, this is the only book of the Bible that says, blessed is he who reads. Uh, It would be very hard for us to believe in a God who would say, "I I want you to read it. I'll bless you if you read it. I want you to heed the things that are written in it. But, but the truth is you'll never understand it. God wanted his people to understand this book. Also, you notice that it said there in that verse, it says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. Some of your Bibles will say the prophecy or this prophecy. This book will be unique in the Bible in that this book does not contain prophecies like, say, Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel. This book is a single prophecy that begins in chapter 1, verse 1, and goes all the way to the end of the book. But God knew that there would be people going around saying that the book of Revelation is hard to understand. So to make this book understandable, God placed in it its very own special outline, which is found in Revelation chapter verse. Let's look at it. Revelation 119, John is told to write. He says, therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall take place after these things. And for you Greek scholars out there, that Greek word for after these things is the word Absolutely. So John is told to write, and you see the three divisions in the book of Revelation. He says, write the things that you have seen. So the question is, what has John seen up to this point? And we find that John has seen Jesus in his eternal glorified state. 
which we find in verse 13 of chapter 1, and it says, In the middle of the lampstands I saw one one like a son of man. And then it gives this incredible description of Jesus in his glorified eternal state. That's what John has seen. But then he says, And write the things which are. Now the things which are pertain to the time period that you and I would refer to as the church age. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches. Uh, In their order, they lay out 2,000 years of church history with incredible precision. If you reverse the order of any of the churches, then it makes no sense. But because this is a prophecy, it lays out, again, 2,000 years of church history with incredible precision. Uh, Just because it's going to be important for our Bible study today, I want you to go to chapter 3 of Revelation We're going to look at the very last church very quickly. Chapter 3, verse 14. Verse 14. This is the last church. It will represent the last church just before Jesus comes back for for his church. And in verse 14, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write. He says, The amen, the faithful and true witness. And then he says, The beginning of the... Does your Bible say creation of God? Go ahead and underline that. The creation of God says this. Now, the reason that was so interesting is that this last church, the last church just before Jesus comes back, Jesus feels that he needs to remind that church that it is, in fact, the creation of God. He he never reminds any other church that God created all of this, but the last church, he feels that he needs to remind that it's the creation of God. Now, Could it be that that last church, or why would it be that the last church needs to be reminded that it's actually the creation of God? Could it be that they are buying into some other process? And what would that process be? Evolution. Evolution. Absolutely. You and I live in the only time period where people who profess to believe in God, believe in Jesus, also believe in the concept of evolution. We'll talk about that today. But the last church, just before Jesus returns, he reminds that he really is the creator. So you go back to chapter 1, verse 19. He says, therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are. And then he says, and the things which shall take place after these things. Well, after what things? Well, after that time period that you and I call the church age. So that phrase, after these things, we will find that phrase again in Revelation chapter, verse, let's look at it. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And here's what he says. If you haven't underlined this, you'll certainly want to. It begins with the phrase, after these things. Well, again, after that last church that we just talked about. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. The Holy Spirit is so concerned to make sure that we don't miss that this is the third division in the book of Revelation, that he begins the verse with after these things and he ends the verse with the phrase after these things. So John, here in the book of Revelation, sees a door standing open in heaven, a voice saying, come up here. And as we studied through that, we found that something else goes up with John. And what goes up with John? The church. And that's the event that we typically refer to as the the rapture of the church. Also, interestingly, is that the word church will be mentioned over 20 times in the first three chapters But from chapter 4, verse 1, to the end of the book, what word will now be glaringly absent? The 
church. And the reason being is that the church is no longer part of the story, at least not on the ground, as, we talk, as uh, we've been studying through and we, we found that. So in chapter 4, the church goes up. We saw the church surrounding the throne. We saw in chapter 5, Jesus takes the title deed of the earth. And then as he begins to open that, uh, as we've been saying all along, the church goes up and then what comes down? And that wrath is found in Revelation chapter verse, let's look at it, Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, he says, now this is that opening volley, that opening time period, of the, that, or the opening volley of that time period that's called the tribulation. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. And in verse 16, it says, they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the, what's that word? Of the who? The wrath of the lamb. And in the Bible, the lamb is always a reference to? See, there comes a time when God's wrath is poured out on a world that has rejected him. And when we looked at that, we we were able to talk about how you and I are created in the image of God. And there's a lot that we can learn about God by looking at ourselves. And uh, one of the things we find is we can put up with a lot of stuff and we can get over a lot of stuff. We can get over a lot of stuff. But somebody hurts our kid, and oh my goodness, it's war, isn't it? It just does something inside of you. And the reason for that is because you're created in the image of God. And there comes a time when those who have been harming the ones that he loves the most, and God's given those people time and time to repent, but they refuse. God says, okay, now we're done, and now it's war. You've hurt my people for the last time. So the church goes up, and then wrath comes down. The very last verse there of chapter 6, verse 17, they ask a question, and it says, the great day of their wrath has come. Nobody thought it would really come, but it really has arrived. And then the question is, who is able to stand? And then chapter 7 answered that question, and we saw the 144,000 young Jewish men who become believers in this time period, and then they go out as evangelists. And then we went to chapter 8, and you'll recall as the seven trumpets were opened, the result looks very much like a nuclear war. It was the third destruction of the fresh water, the salt water, the vegetation, and it ended with something that looked like a nuclear winter. And we saw that, but then in chapter 8, verse 13, as we traveled through, because it's just kind of walking us through, chapter 8, verse 13, it says, Then I looked, and I heard an uh, some of your Bibles will say eagle, some will say angel, flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because the remaining blast and the trumpet of the three angels yet to sound." And then we went into chapter 9. And chapter 9 was very different. As as you hear this, whoa, whoa, whoa. The idea is, as bad as it's been, you haven't seen anything yet. What's taken place up to chapter 9 is man's basically been destroying man. In chapter 9, it's the release of the demonic, the things that are, are restrained right now. Now, chapter 10, and we saw that last week, then we come to chapter 10. Chapter 10 is uh, only 11 verses. It's very short. It's going to be a very different tone. It's a transitional chapter. It's halfway through this time period of the tribulation. And um, uh, again, it's very short. And so if nothing else, it's Father's Day. I didn't plan this, but this will probably be the shortest teaching in the book of Revelation. Can I get a witness? Somebody say amen. (laughs) 
So anyways, we'll see how this, this, uh, tra- uh, how this pans out. A couple of things I want to point out, but again, it's a very, very short chapter. So um, verse 10. So we've had all this doom, destruction, death, and, and all, all that. And then we come to chapter 10, and we're going to pick it up. I'll read the first three verses I want you to underline as we travel through. He says, I saw another strong angel, underline strong angel, coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, And the rainbow, underline that, was upon his head, and his face was like the sun. Now, remember, when you see the word like in Revelation, John's just describing in terms that we can understand something that's beyond our our, our ability. He says, so it was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. They're not pillars of fire, but that's the best way to describe it. And he had in his hand a little book, a little book, underline that, which was open, by the way open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. Now, you might, might want to underline that, on the sea and his left on the, on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. So uh, there, there's uh, this thunder, and, and it's saying something. And we'll talk about that in a, in a couple of moments. So very quickly, you have this uh, very strong angel. Some of your Bibles say mighty. Some will say very strong angel. But um, the word angel in the original language there on your outline just means a messenger. So just go ahead and write that down. Angel just means messenger. Some, sometimes a pastor would be called an angel. Sometimes um, uh, even Jesus at times is referred to as an angel because when we think of angels, we think of these certain types of beings, which is true, but the word just means messenger. So if, if uh, I were giving you a message back in those days and saying, take this message to somebody, then you would be my angelos, you know, you'd be my messenger, that's all it is. And so, um, but, but uh, this is a very unique being that we see here today. And verse one, it says that he has, now most of your Bibles will say a rainbow was, a, was upon his head. You can also use the word halo, but uh, most of our Bibles will say rainbow around his head. And the idea is there's, there's light, uh, very vibrant coming from him. And, and, and then you, you also notice that, uh, again, it says this particular angel, by the way, he's got one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. This is not an angel standing at the beach with uh, you know, one foot in the water and one foot on, on the land. This is a ginormous angel. And uh, he's got one foot literally on the sea, and he's got one foot on the land. So, and the reason that's there is to tell you that this is not an angel that's five or six feet tall. This, this guy is huge. Make sense so far? Uh, the other thing that I would want to say, and this is one of my little hobby horses that I, I rarely get to, uh, to talk about, but... The world tends to communicate angels as uh, something other than, than what they are. For instance, the world loves to communicate that angels are sometimes naked babies flying around. You've seen that, haven't you? Uh, nowhere in the Bible do, are angels ever portrayed as, as naked babies. Now, another interesting thing, I wouldn't go too far with it, but angels are always portrayed in the masculine. In the Bible, angels are never portrayed in the feminine. So when you watch television, angels, for the most part, are, are per- portrayed in, in the feminine, you know. And uh, so th- I don't know where you go with that. It doesn't mean that they're not just all the time in the Bible. They're always portrayed in the masculine. And in the Bible, angels are always portrayed as very powerful. Uh, not little naked babies flying around, 
but, but angels are always portrayed as very, very powerful. Now, the, the reason I say that is because there's a couple of places in the Bible where angels are mentioned. For instance, there's this one day when people are bringing their children to Jesus and the disciples are kind of shooing the people away saying Jesus is, you know, he's busy right now. And Jesus stops what's going on. He says, guys, let me just teach you a little principle here. And there in Matthew 18, here's what he says there on your outline. He says, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. Don't you dare harm one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Um, the, the, the idea that Jesus is conveying is you don't want to despise these children, shooing them away, because they have angels, and that those angels continuously behold the face of my Father who's in heaven. And Jesus is conveying that these angels, this is where the whole concept of guardian angels comes from, that these angels are there on behalf of these children. And uh, they are beholding the face of the Father in heaven as they protect these children. And the idea is somebody's shooing them away. They're looking at God going, can I kill that person who's, who's, who's harming that? And that's, that's kind of the idea of what's going on. Does that make sense? So, so angels are super powerful and they're very, very passionate. They're always, uh, they're very passionate about, about God's people and about those that they've been sent to protect. Um, again, angels are always described in the Bible as very, very powerful. One incident all the way back in 2 Kings, it says this, one of my favorite verses. It says, then it happened on that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. Powerful angel. Now listen, the Bible talks about angels guarding our children. My prayer is that God gives me this angel to guard my children. The angel that I want guarding my children is, is the angel that um, tends to take matters in his hands and goes a little too far. You know, where like somebody comes to harm one of my kids and all of a sudden something happens, like a car falls on their head or something like that. And God's like, what do you do? And I said, guard him. I didn't say kill anybody. And the angel goes, you know, my bad. You know, that's the one I want. That's the one I want. That the one you want? You bet. So next time you see a car rolled over in your front yard or a tree falling down, you just don't know. You just don't know. But uh, that's the one that I want. Now, um, that is the description of angels. And then I, I want you to, to notice this verse. It says, For he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. To keep thee in all thy ways. I, I remember when uh, Cheryl and I were back at Calvary Fort Lauderdale and they had adult ed on Tuesday night. And so one of the classes that they had was a, classes, uh, was a class on angels. And uh, we were in that class. And as we were in that class, the family stood up and said, we want to tell you a story of something that happened in our family. This happened um, probably 20 years ago. We were in the class some 17 years ago. And uh, as the family relayed the story, they said, Here, here's what happened. We went to the beach with our kids. Our kids were very small. And uh, we set up our two chairs right at the beach's edge. And so the waves were coming. It wasn't like crashing waves or anything like that, just waves coming in. And our kids, uh, who didn't know how to swim because they were still very small, were playing right there at the beach's edge. And you've allowed your kids to do that. You know, they sit there in the water and the wet water and they play in the sand. 
Well, mom and dad got involved in a conversation. And as they get involved in the conversation, mom looks and she doesn't see her little boy, who's you know, about two and a half years old at this point. She stands up and she screams, where is him? You know, says his name and the dad looks and they start yelling for this child. About 20 feet offshore, as they tell the story, a man stands up out of the water holding their baby. And the man comes walking out of the... I get tingly every time I tell this story. The man comes walking out of the water to the parents and sets the child down who's coughing. <laughs> and the man says, he'll be okay. He just got a little water in there, but he'll be fine. The parents look down at the child who's okay, and they turn to the man who's not there. As they look, they don't see the man anywhere, and their other child says, look, no footprints. So what was it? What was it? Well, I believe that they were visited by an angel, that God's angel stepped in. Um, Notice what it says here in Psalm 34, the promise. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. When... uh, you know, we've got a couple of kids at our house, and when Noah was a baby, uh, as Cheryl was nursing at that time, this one particular night, she goes, and you know, mom's how you can get very tired in the middle of the night, and so she's there, she's nursing Noah, Noah's finished nursing, and she falls asleep, mom falls asleep, and as she falls asleep, she's asleep for a couple of moments, and all of a sudden, she hears this most beautiful voice saying, Cheryl, and it wakes her up. And so she sits up like that. And when she sits up, all of a sudden Noah goes like that and takes a breath. And she realizes that she had fallen asleep leaning over Noah. But something spoke to her and told her to wake up. And I believe that it was an angel of the Lord. Now here's what the Bible says there on your outline. He says, are not, are not the angels all ministering spirits, servants sent out in the service of God for the assistance of those who are to inherit salvation. There was a lady who used to come to our church, and she was talking about how um, she was heading down 95, and she was in, in a situation where she lost control of her car, and she was about to spin completely out of, of control. And she cried out to God, and she says, I saw two men literally appear and take her car and put it back in the lane, and it kept going. She came to me, and she says, what was that? And I said, I think it was an angel. I think it was an angel because that's what the Bible says that they do. Now, a couple of things that you need to know. They are ministering spirits, but we don't pray to angels. We don't try to contact angels. That's not what we do. We contact Jesus, and Jesus does whatever he wants to do. But the Bible talks about how he sends ministering spirits on behalf of those who are to inherit salvation. Does that make sense? Now, I love this next verse, which says this in Hebrews. It says, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Isn't that a great verse? Makes you want to be kinder to people, doesn't it? Because you don't want to get there and go, oh, it was you. (laughs) Now, the reason reason I share this is because in the Bible, God gives descriptions of angels. Now, most of the church doesn't really talk about this for some reason. I'm not sure why, but this... This angel that appears here, he has one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. The idea is he's, he's ginormous. He's you know, just in, incredibly powerful, and it says he's a mighty angel. We find in the Bible that they are always passionate for God's people. 
And the reason that I want to tell you that is because you and I live in a time period where things are becoming more and more wicked and out of control. Would you agree? Here's what you need to know. Satan has nothing, nothing that compares to one of God's angels. And when God dispatches his angel on your behalf, you're in very good hands. Very good hands. And that's important because uh, we do live in a time period when you look at the events going on, you can feel very unsafe. But you need to rest in the fact that God is in control and he can do whatever he wants in an instant. In an instant. Make sense? Verse 2. It says, And he had in his hand a little book. Uh, is it little because it's a little book or is it little because he's so big? Uh, you know, the, you know, either way. And you might want to underline that. Now, this book was open, a little book which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. Now, most Bible commentators suggest, and you want to write this down, that this book is the Bible, and we'll see, see why as we travel through. Verses 3 and 4, and he cried out with a loud voice. Now, as big as he is, when he cries out with a loud voice, you can get the sense that it's shaking, shaking things. He cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars, And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. We'll come come back to that in just a second. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. Apparently, these seven peals of thunder, they say something very specific. So John says, so I was about to write it. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Do not write them. And so whatever it is that these seven peals of thunder speak, it's something that John understood. It's very specific. He was going to write it, and God says, don't write that. And so that becomes, interestingly enough, the only sealed thing in this uh, unsealed book. God says, this, I don't, you know, that's, that's for another time. So the question is, what did those seven peals of thunder say? Well, various groups have claimed to know what they've, they've said, but uh, the Bible doesn't tell us. And I believe that we don't know, and it's there by design. But whatever they said was apparently something that impacted John, and God says that's not for everybody to know. One of the things that, that uh, we find in the book of Revelation as, as we go through, and God begins to act, and, and things begin to take place, uh, when, when um, um, that... that um, most of the things in the book of Revelation are, are things that we will be able to see or find somewhere else in the Bible. Let me ask you this. On your outline, is the next verse Deuteronomy 29? Okay. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting verse because the Bible says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we might observe all the words of this law. So, so what can we know? We, we can always know what it is that God has written down. That's what he's revealed. He wants us to know that. There are some things that God has just decided that you and I aren't going to know until we get there. Anybody here have some questions for God? And, and yet you, you can't find the answer. And God just says, you know, just a couple of things you're not going to know until you get there. Used to bother me, but I'm okay with it now. You okay with that? Life has some mysteries. So, so the things that we can know is, is what's revealed in Scripture. And between you and me, um, that's enough to, to keep me going. In the book of Revelation later on, what we're going to find, and I'm going to suggest that whatever's going on here, 
the people in heaven realize what's happening. And notice how they respond in Revelation 15 when we get there. It says they sing a, a, the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Was that on your outline? Okay. Um, so when we look on at what God is doing, we're going to say it makes absolute sense. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect what we see. It's also interesting to me, if I can go one step further, if I haven't lost you yet, that uh, you and I live in a time period where it seems that the book of Revelation, even in churches, people will say, stay away from that book. You know, it doesn't matter. It all pans out in the end. Why do you want to spend any time in that book? You ever heard anybody say that? In in Revelation 22, is that on your outline also? Here's what God says. He closes the book of Revelation and he says this. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. This is the only book of the Bible where God says, whatever you do, don't seal up this book. Apparently it's pretty important. And the way that the church seals up this book is that well-meaning pastors will say, stay away from the book of Revelation. It doesn't really matter. It all pans out in the end. Be very, very careful. So you have the only sealed thing in this unsealed book where he says, I'm going to say something you're not going to know, but here at the end of the book, I want you, what you do know, make sure you don't seal up, tell everybody. So far, so good? Verse 6. Verse 5, actually, he says, He says, and the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, John keeps talking about that, so apparently this really impacts him. Sea and the land lifted up his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who, uh, what's that word? Yeah, go ahead and underline that. Created heaven, and uh, not only created heaven, but the things in it, and uh, he also created the earth, underline that, and uh, of course the things in it. And uh, he also created the sea, and in case you missed it, the things in it. And uh, he says, there will be delay no longer. Uh, did you notice the emphasis there about God being the creator? Go ahead and write this down. Um, no one in heaven believes in evolution. That makes sense? And, he, he, and, and it's also interesting that you and I live in the only generation where people who profess to believe in Jesus believe in evolution and uh, this time period, period directly follows the time period that you and I are in. And there's a great emphasis in the book of Revelation to make sure that, that uh, we all know that nobody in heaven buys into that. So do you find that interesting? Yeah. So then at the end of that verse, verse 6, he says, you know, there's no more delay, no more delay. And the idea is that as we've been talking about those prayers of the saints, you know, when will those be answered? Those are being answered now. When is God going to do something? That's taking place right now. God is taking possession of the earth, and we'll see that in chapter 11, and the prophetic events are coming to a very, very quick close. Verse 7, it goes on, and he says, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. The mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets, as he preached to the servants, his prophets. In that verse, you notice it says, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. So this is a time period in that seven, uh, seven year period. And he says, when the, he is about to sound, 
then the mystery of God is finished. Uh, It's being revealed. It's no longer a mystery because it's really happening. But it's happening just as he preached to his servants, the prophets. There are people who will tell you that the things in the book of Revelation are not really to be taken literally. That you know, they're kind of allegorical, they're, they're mysterious and all that. Um, but here the angel says that from this point on, it's not going to be a mystery any longer. It's going to happen just like it was told to the prophets. It's really happening. Does that make sense? So it's, it's happening here. And uh, he's holding the book. And uh, you notice he refers to, he preached to his servants, the prophets. All of that is contained in the Bible, the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah, all, all these, these great books. Now, because of that, he refers to all that was preached to the prophets. And this angel happens to be holding a little book. Uh, he's a ginormous angel, so it could be little in the sense that he's just so big. And, and so... And then he references all of these things that were spoken to the prophets. The only way that we know what was spoken to the prophets, it's because it's in this book. So he, he's holding the Bible at this point. And, uh, and he says, so it's all going to happen now just like it was, just the way that God laid it out. Verse 8, he says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me. And he said, Go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. You can't miss how big this guy is. And so I went to the angel, telling him, give me the little book. And he said to me, and you might want to underline this, take it and eat it. And it will be, uh, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Be bitter in your stomach, sweet in your mouth. So I, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And in my mouth, it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Um, do, do any of your uh, Bibles say embittered or anything like that or just bitter? Okay. Sour? Okay. Um, verse 11, and it says, and they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So here you have the book that's open. This angel's holding the open book, and he says it's all going to happen just like, just like it was told to the prophets. And John is told to take this book and to eat this book. Now, eating, eating uh, the book or the, or the word of God is, is a very common idiom in their culture and our culture also. How many of you ever had a book and you said, I just devoured that book. I just ate it up, you know. So it's something that, that we talk about. For, for that reason, um, I want you to hold your place there, but go all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 2. Remember that chapters and verses were placed in over a thousand years after the New Testament was written. So there was no chapters and, and verses in the original. And... Um, Ezekiel, way back when, is told in Ezekiel chapter 2. Everybody look at verse 7. Now, last time I did this, I read all of chapter 2. I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to spotlight a couple of of verses. But in chapter 2, verse 7, everybody there? He says, but you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. 
Being the man of God means you tell people the truth. You tell people God's word, whether they like it or not. And uh, I think every man of God wants to be liked, but you have to come to the place where you realize that you work for him and uh, not for you. I love you guys, but I work for him. So if you leave me, he won't. Please don't go. But, you know, <laughs> but, but anyway, so verse 8, he says, Now you, son of man, listen to what I'm speaking to you, and do not, rebe- do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving to you, I'm giving you. And I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. And he spread it out before me, and it was written upon the back, written, Lamentations, Mourning, and Woe. Chapter 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me this scroll. And he said, Son of man, feed your stomach, and fill your body with this scroll, which I'm giving you. Then I ate it, and it was, and you want to underline, sweet as, what's that word? In my mouth. Then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. God's word is is the Bible. Now skip down to verse 14. I won't go through all these verses, just verse 14. It says, so the spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went, and in my Bible it says embittered, but how many of your Bibles say bitterness? Bitterness. So I went in bitterness or embittered in the rage of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Go back to Revelation chapter 10. Everything in the book of Revelation will be explained somewhere in the the Old Testament. So the idea is that Ezekiel's told, Ezekiel, you need to take my word. I want you to take it in. It's very sweet in your mouth. But once it goes beyond your mouth and it gets in your stomach, all of a sudden it becomes very, very bitter, very, very bitter. Now, now how does it do that? Well, in verse 9, he says, So I, I, went to the angel telling, telling, uh, to give, I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. So I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it in my mouth, and, and it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. So, so how does that work? Well, w- would you agree that so far in the book of Revelation, it's at least been very fascinating? And uh, it, we, we kind of look forward to coming here and opening it up and, and taking it in. And uh, even, even the Bible says there on your outline it says, Jeremiah would say, your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart and I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. You know, your words were found, I ate them, they, they were my joy. And then David says, how sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The, the problem is that when you take this in, it's fascinating and it's sweet. But then it goes down inside of you. And at a certain point, you come to the place and you go, this is real. And, and these things are really going to happen. And so it's fascinating and it's sweet, but when you really take it in, it becomes bitter because you realize this is going to happen. And, and most of the world doesn't know. And uh, sadly, most of the world doesn't care. But as, as that word goes inside of you and it becomes assimilated deep inside of you, it becomes bitter. One of the... 
parts just to kind of illustrate this, how it becomes so bitter when you think about it. I mean, we love the word and we love taking it in, but then, then it hits you. For instance, there in your outline in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is saying this, and it's Jesus. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are, what's that word? Go ahead and underline that. Who enter through it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The narrow gate is Jesus and Jesus alone. Most people, even people who profess to be Christians, miss it. They miss it. Um, George Barna, I mean, you, you and I live in a time period when professing Christians have walked away from a biblical Christianity. George Barna, in his research, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of George Barna, but I love his research. He said that right now, uh, there's a tendency, over 50% of Americans uh, believe that all good people, um, that all good people live in heaven when they die regardless of whether you believe in Jesus or not. That if you're good, then you go to heaven. That's a very wide gate. A few weeks ago, it was Memorial Day, and uh, many of us are, you know, we've served in our country. I have four honorable discharges, and uh, I love this country. I'm very patriotic. As I went to the memorial service, the thing that was conveyed, it was not stated, but very strongly implied, that if you died for your country, you're going to heaven. That's not what gets you to heaven, that, that you die for your country. It's a very noble thing, but it doesn't make you go to heaven. Um, more than half of all adults believe that if we're generally good or we do good things in life, that we earn a place in heaven. We earn a place in heaven. That if we're good people, that we earn a place in heaven. Of course, the goodness is based upon our standard of what it means to be good. I, don't even, I can't even keep my own standard of what it means to be good. Never, never mind God's standard. So all of a sudden, John takes this in and he realizes that this is true. And it's, it's fascinating, it's sweet, but it's also very bitter because of what people are buying into. In verse 11, it says, They said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And, and it's, it's God's way of saying, John, it, it's been bad up to this point, and you've taken this in, and now it's bitter. But John, here's what you need to know. There's more to come. There's more to come. And it's bitter in his stomach. And if you're here today and uh, you found this to be fascinating, and it is, it's very fascinating, on the one hand. On the other hand, this book should be doing something deep inside of you as you realize that if this is true, many people around us aren't really going to heaven because they're entering through a wide gate that many will enter into. But that gate leads to death and destruction. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. If there is another way to go to heaven apart from Jesus, then Jesus is a liar. And he's also an idiot. Because Jesus died the most horrific death on a cross. Because he believed that that would be the only way for somebody to go to heaven. 
if you can get to heaven through some other way, then you have to also equally believe that Jesus is the greatest idiot that ever lived. Because who would go through all of that if you could get there some other way? Make sense? And most Americans believe that you can get there some other way. Don't let that be you. As we close today, and we're going to close right now, if that's you today, as we close, you have the opportunity to invite Jesus Christ into your life as the only way. His words, not mine. After the service, there's, there's going to be some prayer partners down in the front. They'd love to pray with you as you solidify that decision to follow him. And also, if you have any other needs that you'd like to pray about today, there'll be prayer partners down in the front. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, it is sweet to, to our taste. It's sweet to our mouths. And, and uh, we love learning and studying, but we also realize that it becomes bitter inside of us because we recognize if this is true, then this is what it means for, for many people in our world and those around us who, who don't know, and right now they don't care. And Lord, for those of us who are here today, here's what we're asking. If uh, we're not certain about our relationship with you, if we've embraced that your death was good, but you can get there another way, um, then here, here's what we do. We come before you today, and we just recognize that you by your profession, are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through you. And right now, as we turn to you, we say, Jesus, please come into my life and forgive me of my sins, everything that's been a barrier between you and I. And I want to have that relationship with you, and I don't want to live deceived by my culture, my world, or by Satan himself. Uh, thinking that that, uh, there's another way. And your word promises that when you step into our life, you save us. And the Bible calls it being born again. And uh, you begin to change us, and we're never the same. And so as we've invited you in today, our commitment to you is that from this day on, as best that we know how, as you lead us, we will follow you and be whoever it is that you've called us to be. Step into our lives and live out your plan. Live out your plan. And so, Father, as we close this, I thank you for each and every person who's here today. And I pray that that, uh, you do great and mighty things in each of our lives as we go forward and that you bless this day, this Father's Day. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. You can find this and other teachings by visiting our website at www.calvarychurchfl.com and clicking the Watch and Listen tab. If you would like to support the ministry of Calvary Church and teachings like this, simply click the Give button on the website. We hope you join us again on the Calvary Church Podcast.